Welcome to a yet another interesting episode of Gene Talk, a podcast initiated by the second year students from Department of Biotechnology at Ferguson College Pune for BTH 2302. In this episode, we take a ride back to the 1950s to explore the life of Sir Linus Pauling, one of the unsung heroes in the race of finding the DNA structure. Science is the search of truth. One said by Linus Pauling compels people all over the world to follow the truth and not a simple fact written on a book. Today we are going to dive into the story of his life which we won't find in our science books. As we've always read about Watson and Crick or any other famous scientist behind the story of DNA, this would be a good reminder for everyone to appreciate the ones who didn't get much recognition. To make this even more exciting, our podcast is presented in a play format with Emma, a diary, and the narrator played by our fellow participants. Nivedita Sivakumar is portraying the speaking diary, while I, Roshni Raut, is the curious student Emma. Methli Karkar will be your kind narrator, taking you through this journey. This podcast is recorded with each of the members voicing it from the respective houses. It was like any other day in California Institute of Technology, Caltech, a private research university at Pasadena, California. Emma, a second-year undergraduate student, had just settled down in one of those deserted corners of the library with a rather dull leather-bound book in her hand. The vintage pages and the tarnished edges suggested that it was no less than a few decades old. Eager to read, she opened the book and suddenly a voice addressed her. Greetings, young lady. Startled yet maintaining her composure, Emma stared at the book that had seemingly sprung into life. After several moments of silence, Emma blurted, Who, who are you? Well, I am the talking diary of Sir Linus Pauling. Emma's mind was racing. A talking diary in 21st century? Really? Am I dreaming? She stood transfixed, watching in disbelief as the diary's beady eyes looked at her and smiled gently. Steadying herself, she asked the diary, You mean the famous alumni of this university? Yes, the wizard of Caltech and the self-taught chemist, whose lifelong fascination was ignited by a friend's chemistry set in his childhood. Linus Pauling, she thought, was not just a familiar name to her, but something that she had heard being mentioned in her class today, something to do with DNA. Driven by her curiosity to know more about him, Emma struck up a conversation with the diary. An astounded Emma exclaimed, Wow, that's alluring. How about we discuss more about Sir Pauling's life? Of course. Born in Poland, Sir Linus Pauling was one of the impactful American chemists of the 20th century. Known for working out the nature of chemical bond, the cause of sickle cell anemia, and among the first to determine the alpha helix structure of proteins. His works were not just limited to science, but were also directed towards world's welfare, wherein he opposed the usage of nuclear arms, for which he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1962. Emma's mind was bubbling with questions. 
she was gripped to the story of Lena's Pauling, and in her mind, she had already travelled to the nineteen fifties. A man who had spent most of his life considering proteins as the genetic material. What triggered him to change his course towards the DNA? That's an excellent question. Pauling directed his mind towards DNA, inspired by two events. One being the Hershey and Chase experiment involving bacteriophages. You mean the blender experiment? Yes, exactly. And the other being Robley Williams images of sodium ribonucleate, the salt form of nucleic acid, captured using an electron microscope. Looking at those photos, Pauling guessed that the DNA was likely to be a helix. Wow, that's so fascinating. So, what was the current status of the DNA race? Oh, so you're aware of the legendary race? <laughs> well, it was as messy and competitive as it could get. There were multiple universities, many intellectual scientists, and various methods being employed, all set out to discover the DNA structure. They were Wilkins and Franklin from the King's College, London, and Watson and Crick from the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge University, headed by William Lawrence Bragg. Pauling's only competitor. Although their competition was low-key and polite, yet it was pointed. Around this time, Pauling announced a dramatic discovery of the alpha helix structure of proteins. Inspired by this, Watson too hoped to achieve a similar result with DNA. Later, he encountered Crick, and based on their similar interests, they began to investigate it. Emma's face lit up with excitement, and. She grew closer to the diary to learn more. Watson, along with Crick, proposed a model on DNA, which was later rejected as a huge failure. Rosalind Franklin, who was quite outright in her critics, pointed out that unlike in their model, DNA was a thirsty molecule, indicating that the phosphates were on the outside, encased with water. Hence, their model was deeply flawed. It was at this time in 1952. Pauling set his foot into the race, confident that his deep knowledge in chemistry would lead him to unravel the secrets of this master molecule. The story seems to be getting really interesting now. Tell me more. What happened further? Then, in late 1952, keeping proteins still has its priority. Pauling began working on DNA with only Asbury's blurry X-ray patterns from the 1930s. And William Robley's electron microscope photos to confirm it as a helix. After, however, a few pages of theorizing, as Watson and Crick had been at first, he felt that the DNA was a three-stranded structure with the phosphates on the inside. Unfortunately, he had no Rosalind Franklin to set him right. Over the next few weeks, he worked with Robert Corey, his chief assistant at Caltech, who made. Detailed the calculations of Pauling's proposed atomic positions, and found that the pieces did not fit together. Pauling went back to twisting and squeezing his model, just to match it with the calculations. Poor chap, he went through so many sleepless nights to figure out where he went wrong. Given a facile tongue, I could have corrected him that DNA was a biological entity and not a mere combination of atoms. There. Was a brief moment of silence, a huge drop of tears 
fell on Emma's hand. Yes, the diary was in tears. Not knowing how to console it, she gently stroked the dusty leather book. After what felt like an eternity, the diary comforted itself. Ahem. So, where were we? Pauling was working on his DNA model and... Oh, right. So, on the last day of December 1952, Pauling and Corey sent in their paper, a proposed structure for nucleic acids, to the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, where they proposed a triple helix DNA structure with its core containing the phosphate groups and the bases towards the outside. The authors argued that these phosphate groups were the sources of hydrogen bonds and thus would keep the strands together. However, the paper was highly uncharacteristic of Pauling. He stated that the structure was promising but also extraordinarily tight. He also accounted that the model was probably capable of further refinement. At this point, the diary paused just to let Emma grasp the moment. Hmm. A man who had spent decades on studying proteins and then finally arriving to its structure had in fact spent less than a year on DNA. Surely his usual confidence would not have been expressed. Impressed by her interpretation, the diary became even more interested in narrating the story. But as it turned out, Pauling wasn't seeking perfection with his structure. In reality, he wanted to be the first to publish a roughly correct structure of DNA and wished that it be cited by all the following. Later on, once the article was published in February 1953, it became more and more apparent that Pauling's structure wasn't even roughly correct. Many criticized that he simply didn't try to gather more raw data for his research while others found inconsistencies about the structure. One among them was Irwin Shagar, who pointed out that Pauling had failed to take account of his results which he had shared with him back in the 1947 during one of their common voyage. Meanwhile, on the other side, Watson and Crick were downcast by the news from Peter Pauling that his father had already solved the DNA. However, they were surprised when they received the manuscript to see something that looked like their own abortive three-chain effort, only more tightly put together. They could immediately point out the flaw. Phosphates were ionized in cells pH, and hence hydrogen bonds cannot be formed between the strands, causing them to separate. Crick wrote to Pauling questioning this very aspect. Pauling's apparent misstep pleased Bragg, his competitor. Do you remember? So much that he officially agreed to let Watson and Crick go back full-time to DNA. There was a window of opportunity here, and he wanted the Cavendish to take back the advantage. Oh, so that's how the duo finally became renowned as the discoverers of the Golden Helix, not just considering Chargaff's work or Franklin's criticism, but also learning from Pauling's mistakes? Absolutely. You linked them right. And that's what made all the difference to Watson and Crick. Emma felt pity for Pauling. Poor guy, she thought, would have gone on a hat-trick to win the Nobel Prize for DNA. Rather, 
his efforts became a mere footnote. He missed his chance for two basic reasons, hurry and hubris. Seeing Emma a little disappointed, the diary replied, Well, all was not over. Lena Spalling became the epitome of a graceful loser. He gave Watson and Crick the full credit for their discovery and assisted them in tying up a few loose ends with their model and then invited them to present and discuss their discovery at an international protein conference he organized in Pasadena in September 1953. For Sir Lena Spalling, this event was a single failure in a sea of successes. In fact, the very next year, he would win the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, the first of his two Nobel Prizes. Despite his embarrassing mistakes, Pauling was to remain in good standing with the scientific community. The diary concluded with a smile. The whole conversation had come to an end with a pleasant climax. Emma's eyes showed no traces of disappointment, rather had a spark. A usual day in college had become so enlightening just because she chose the old rugged book over the others and that's what changed everything for her that day. As we heard in brief, Linus dedicated his life to science, ranging from chemistry to medicine. He was the only person to receive two unshared Nobel Prizes. At every turn, he was eager to jump disciplinary fences and explore new territories at the border. However, like every other scientist, he too committed a few mistakes. The first being usage of outdated images of Asbury's DNA which was a mixture of both A and B forms. If Pauling would have seen Franklin's better X-ray images, especially the photos 51 and 52, which he wouldn't have refused to show him, he would have changed the nature of his later approach. The second was his pride. He simply did not feel that he needed to pursue DNA full tilt. I always thought that sooner or later I would find the structure of DNA. Pauling said, and that's how Watson and Crick took the center stage, while Pauling assuming the smaller part of an offstage voice. But that didn't stop him from working further on vitamin C and orthomolecular medicines. So, that's the story of a man who didn't let failures dictate his steps to achieve greater successes in life. Signing off, this is Maithili Kayarkar from Gene Talks. Don't judge a book by its cover. Who knows, you may get to encounter a talking diary ready to enlighten you with something you never knew.